Amen. Amen. All right, man. Nice and got you riled up. You know, the first couple songs always do that. We, we have a different structure here because we, we don't really know. We don't, we always, uh, I try to like explain that. There's not necessarily a set way we do things at any given time. And a lot of that is because we're not committed to the way a service runs. We're committed to just loving Jesus. That's, that's our whole purpose here and our singular focus here is just to love Jesus, to try to be Jesus. Uh, we fail a lot and to also be a place where forgiveness exists. Amen. <clears throat> so uh, this morning, I want to thank you for being here and uh, uh, thank you for joining us in worshiping Jesus, uh, because that's the whole reason this exists. Otherwise, in truthful, truthfully, uh, you can worship Jesus anywhere. But when we do come together and worship Jesus together, we're stronger together. I was trying to tell somebody like uh, um, we talk about like one of the things that we talk about a lot here is that attendance does not make you more saved. Like the more you come does not make you more saved. Uh, that, whether you're saved or not, it's going to be between you and Jesus. I promise you, there's a lot of people that are going to think they're saved and they're not saved. And, and probably because a lot of that is think that they did all these things and that they came to all these things and that somehow equals salvation, but it doesn't. How much do you love Jesus? Only you can know that. Only you can know how much you love Jesus. That being said, that being said, when we are together, the reason the Bible does say in Hebrews, forsake not the fellowship of each other. You know, I don't know about you. I know we live in the hill country. I'm a hunter. All right. And so every time I think, I think from a hunting platform, from a predator and prey platform, you know. Uh, so when I see, when I see the phrase forsake not the fellowshipping of each other, I see that as just being a smart thing, like, like a Proverbs wisdom thing. Like you should want to be around others who see like you. And here's why is because I, I'm going to tell you as a hunter, the, one of the hardest things I've ever had to hunt is sheep. Here's why. Like, sheep are dumb, right? I mean, we always hear about how dumb sheep are. Yeah, but sheep often hang around in groups. It's very hard to single one out when they always look like one big giant group. It's very hard to, to when, especially when you're bow hunting, one of the things we hate, uh, this is bow season right now in Texas, and one of the things we hate during bow season is when there's multiple deer around. Because how can I pull back the bow when there's so many eyeballs staring around? It's hard. It's hard to get away with anything when there's so many people looking. So when we do come together, when we do join each other, and, and we're able to be all together, there's more sets out. We're safer than we're, we'll, we'll be alone. That's number one, guys. We're safer than, we'll, than we will be alone. Two, we build each other up. If you're hurt, I get to watch after you. You get to watch after me. I'll watch your back. You watch mine. One of the great things about the military is that's the one thing I learned. No matter race, color, creed, didn't matter where you came from. I literally lived in a, uh, my two roommates, one was from Cuba and one was from Puerto Rico. And you want to talk about some different dynamics. If you called the guy from Cuba, Puerto Rican, he got angry. And if you called the Puerto Rican Cuban, he got angry. And I just thought all of it was funny and they both called me the same name, so it didn't matter. <laughs> but you know what? When I, when I would sit in a foxhole with those guys and I went to bed, I knew they had my back. Because there's strength in numbers. There's strength when we're together, guys. So thank you this morning for allowing to be part of that strength this morning. Thank you this morning for when we come together and we worship. There's two or more. We're gathered in the name of Jesus. We're worshiping Jesus. Maybe that's why the Spirit has been heavy this morning. Maybe why it felt like a Holy Spirit already here this morning. Just because when we gather together, it's like we're inviting Him. We're just inviting it, that Spirit of Jesus. And that's what I'm excited about. 
I've waited a long, we've, we've had this thing scheduled for a long time now on the books. And uh, so long, I think there was at one point where I like talked to him again and I was like, hey, when are we going to schedule? He's like, we do. We already got you. You got me scheduled for October. So that's how long this has actually been. So I've waited a long time to have my friend Kyle come in and, and talk to us. And Kyle has always been a guy I could lean on, especially with student ministry and things. I, I spent a lot of years doing student ministry, especially here in Marble Falls. And, and over the years, just seen some amazing things and we've been able to share back and forth and 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 talk about different things uh and he's seen me grow I've watched him grow I've watched his kids grow he's watched my kids grow we kind of reminisce last night like the first time that he came down to Marble Falls that I moved down we were looking at pictures you know which was eight years ago so Reese is like two and I mean that's how long it's just kind of been to be able to just see the transition over the years and to see his kids grow up as well so I'm excited what God's going to bring out of Kyle I'm going to invite him up and I'm going to let him introduce his family or everything else and take over from here. Absolutely, brother. Well, it is good to be here at Mosaic Church. My name is Kyle. It's my daughter, Mallory. And uh, we did take a picture over on the river, and the La Quinto was behind us, right? And she was this little thing, and I had her up in my arms. And so after service today, we're going to go back over to that same spot, and I'm going to put her back up on my arms again. It's going to be really awkward. She's going to be like, Dad, I'm in middle school. I shouldn't be doing this, Right. And, and yeah, she is, she's in middle school, but she's going to do it for me. We're going to go take that picture, and we're going to do the whole, you know how iPhones, they do all this stuff. We're going to put the old picture next to the new picture. She's going to show me how to do it, and we're going to look back at then and now. And so, man, it, it has been good. It's good to be here and watch the transition and all this stuff. It, it was a year and a half that me and my whole family, my wife and my, other, my son, was here uh, and we spoke. You guys had just been in, in the restaurant. I guess you call it restaurant, church, whatever, here for almost a year. It's crazy to see what God's doing. When you walk in this room, you immediately feel like family. I, I'm looking at the cup here, and the cup, it, it, it boldly says Mosaic Community Church. And I love that middle word there, community, because community is kind of twofold. And I know Pastor Jim and his heartbeat and his love for people. I know community is twofold. It's community. It's when we come in here. We're a community. We're together. We're all ages. We're all colors of skin. We're all socioeconomic backgrounds. We're, we're a community together, but it's also community church because we're not just here in this building, but we're also there. What I love, what I love to hear during your announcements is this, is that this Wednesday, was it, October the 11th, you're going to the high school. You're going to the high school to, uh, to participate and be involved in this thing called Fields of Faith. And I love that, right? Because it's right up my alley. Uh, Pastor Jim was talking about how we're a missionary. You're like, oh, what country? You know, because immediately when you think of missions, you think of country, right? Well, I've got a disclaimer. I'm a little bit of a fake missionary. A little bit of a fake one. You're like, what, what are we talking about? A real missionary packs up every. I've been with them. They pack up everything they have in about eight gray big Tupperware boxes. I've seen them take the gray duct tape and like strap it around the top, just like, just like take it all up, tape it all up so that it won't pop open over the flight. And they take everything they own and they go thousands of miles away over into, yes, come on in if you want. I'm not a comedian, but I am kind of funny looking. They pack up everything they have into eight Tupperware boxes, and they what? They go overseas. I, I've been a missionary now for 10 years, and I still live in my same house. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, it's like crazy. Like, they go and fly and do all this crazy stuff, but, but I fly right here in North Texas. You say, Kyle, what is your mission field then? How do you get the label of a missionary? I get the label because the schools they've identified as a mission field, Right? 
I don't know how long you've been since you've been on a school campus, but, dude, it'll weird you out, man. Especially come up into Austin or Dallas or just last week I was up in Pennsylvania and New Jersey. I'm like, dude, this is a foreign country, right? All of the nationalities, all of the ideas, all of the different perspectives, and even this, even all the religions, all of those things now are conglomerated and mixed together in where? The public schools. I've been laughed out of principal's offices, right? Because they're like, why am I going to let you into my school, a Christian, when I in this school have Mormons, atheists, Islamic, I have Hindus, I have all of them. They're all in this. We've got like over 25 nationalities and over 15 different religions in this school. And why am I going to give you a Christian a leg up or a prop or a microphone so that you can? I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah." You see, today our schools, they're what? They're mission filled and we need the gospel of Jesus Christ to be there. So Wednesday night, if you're like, oh, we're not eating tacos, we're not eating Hot Pockets, we're not going to do whatever at the church here, I'm going to miss out. I'm I'm just going to skip tonight. There's a rerun of Duck Dynasty on that I haven't seen yet. I'm going to go check that out. Listen, I, I beg you, go on Wednesday night and be community, in the community at the high school. Because why? God will drop on your heart, I believe, a burden, not just for Marble Falls, but for young people. And the older and older we get, I'm just being honest, I'm a almost 40-year-old, balding, middle-aged white guy, right? The older I get, the more I realize the need for my life in young people. It's crazy because this is a guy that never thought I'd be in youth ministry. And here I am almost two decades later, but who's counting? Two decades later, still in youth ministry. Like a lot of people thought I should have already planted a church. A lot of people thought I should already grow up. I actually, I was just two days ago with the pastor, young pastor. He's like, man, why haven't you started pastoring yet, man? Why have you have grown up? Why are you still doing youth ministry? I'm like, because every time I'm around young people, I just can't help but weep. Because they need us. Young people need us now more than ever. And there's something that happens to us when we get up and we get old. I'm just kind of, Pastor Jim said, you don't even have to really preach this morning. Come on and just talk a little bit. Something happens to us when we get up and our kids move out of our house and we become empty nesters. Now, I don't know that yet because I'm not there, but I can see it knocking on the door. All of a sudden, when you have kids in the house, you are more connected to the community than you've ever been. Kids are playing soccer. They're in uh, you know, basketball, they're in cheerleading, they're in math club, they're doing all kinds of, mom's involved in PTA, dad, we got a dad two doors down, he has a whole go-kart for his daughter being in banning. He he's the one that loads up trailer, loads up go-kart, and they go around all these football games all across the Metroplex, I live in Dallas, all across the Metroplex, you're never more involved than you are when you're in what? When your kids are in your house. But something happens, when your kids get out of the house, it's like all of a sudden you're like, Woo! It's all over. And you set back. I've seen it. I've seen it. And you disconnect from society, from community. You start hanging out, watching reruns of Duck Dynasty. And you stop, listen, you stop pouring your life into the next generation. 
And we have to be a community of believers that continues, continues to pour our lives into the next generation. I, I get to. I'm, I'm lucky, man. I got the coolest job ever. I know you guys have awesome jobs. You're like veterinarians. You work out at the Hidden Falls Ranch, and you see Jeeps going everywhere. I know you guys are like architects, and you're, like, you're doing great things. And I love everything you do, but I've got, I've got the greatest job. Just in the last three weeks, I've been, to go, I've been able to go to high schools and speak to the entire high school and middle school, thousands and thousands of students. Students. I don't brag about the thousands and thousands of students because, because they need Jesus. And more than me just getting up and talking on a microphone, I get to have a night service where they come back and they hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And me and one of my team, we get to stand in that gymnasium at night, not during the day. Don't be confused. We're not preaching Jesus during the day. If we did that, they'd put us up on the news. We'd be on Channel 8, Channel 11, Channel 5. Oh, some crazy white guys came up in here and preached by Jesus in the school. Oh, you thought we'd have brought in bombs or handcuffs or hand grenades, right? I mean, no way we're doing that during the day. But at night, we ask them voluntarily to come back. Just in the last three weeks, we've seen hundreds of students come to know Jesus Christ. This week in two days, we're traveling to Tulsa, be in Tulsa for two days, telling students about Jesus Christ. It's an absolutely fun job. It's a blast. It's a blast. But you know what really melts my heart? Just this last Wednesday night in Mineral Wells, Texas, I get to stand on the altar with a young man named Christian. Christian gave his heart and life back to Jesus Christ. He says, I've walked so far away. I've been involved in drugs. I'm doing stupid stuff. My life's not right. And it just hit me. I'm like, you kidding me right now? I'm a grown man. I have hair under my arms. I'm supposed to be strong, not show emotion. And right there in the altar with a 17-year-old young man named Christian, I start weeping like a baby. Why? Because here's a young man that gave his heart back to Jesus Christ. Here's a young man that's at the crossroads of his life and is considering considering his future, and he knows the path he's on right now is not right. It's not leading him in the right direction. And here we go, because listen to this, seven churches in, uh, I'm sorry, Mineral Wells, seven churches in Mineral Wells said community matters. And I got to, I didn't even preach on Wednesday night. One of my friends, Taylor, preached, and I got to stand on the altar, and I just got to wait. I got to wait for somebody to come to me, and Christian comes up to me, and we started praying. And I got to mentor him, lead him to Christ, and speak life and hope into him. And that's what it's all about. Not the thousands we spoke to in a crowd that looks good on an Instagram post. No, 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 no. It's about the one, the Christian, that turned his life around. So what am I telling you all this? I'm telling you, number one, thank you. Thank you for investing in us. You're a church that sponsors us. You give to us. You pray for us. You help us to keep going. I could stand up here and give you tons of stories, tons of stats, tons of awesome things that God is doing through us, whether it's through resources, mentoring youth pastors. You understand, like, the average age of a youth pastor now is, like, 21 or 22, right? I mean, like, I'm two decades older than these guys, and they're coming in, and it's so much fun to get in their face. I'm an in-your-face guy, right? I just love getting in people's faces and telling the truth. Pastor Jim doesn't know anything about that. That was supposed to be funny. <laughs> I love getting in their faces and telling the truth and telling them what it's all about. Why? Because most of them never had fathers. They're saying we're staring at a generation of over 50% of young men are coming from homes that do not have fathers. And a lot of them do have a father physically home, but he's not emotionally or, or even engaged. He's not raising them up. I, come on, I was just this last week with a young man in New Jersey. His dad never even taught him how to mow the grass. 
And this kid's like 21 years old. He's never even mowed the grass before, right? And so we got dads and sons together in homes, but dads and sons disconnected on raising them up. And I, one of my passions is just to raise up a next generation of young men to teach them how to be men and to how to what? Go after God with all their hearts and lead their homes. It's fun. And so I get to do that. I get to hang out with the young people and young men, and it keeps me younger, keeps me a little more energetic, and keeps me becoming an old man and stuff. You guys get that. But I want to say thank you for giving. Thank you for praying. Thank you for being right there alongside of us, Pastor Jim. Thank you, thank you, thank you for helping us continue to go almost 10 years. A lot of people thought it wouldn't have made it six months, eight months, a year. And here we go, 10 years later. And can I just tell you that there's power when you stay in something? Stay in something, stay in something, stay in. I could have left five years ago. I could have left three years ago. I could have left nine months ago. I got a call from the church like, we want you to come pastor us. We want you to come. I'm like, man, I want to stay on this mission to reach young people all across North Texas in this world for the message and the hope of Jesus Christ. It's a lot of fun. So thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for giving and praying for us. And number two, in this little kind of front part before we jump into the word, I want to say with all of your heart, with all your might, find someone younger than you, that you can pour into. It doesn't have to be 30 years younger than you. It may be 10 years younger. It may be 15 years younger. Find someone that you can take alongside and pour your life into them and teach them life. Teach them the way. Is that good? Everybody raise your hand with me. You say, I accept that challenge. I will do that. I will do that. I will pour my life into that next generation. And you will find, this is what I found, is that when we give our lives away, we find our lives. I love what Pastor Jim said in the beginning. He says, we, we came to church today to give something. And that's what church is all about, right? In America, what's happened to the church? We become all about us. Oh, this worship is good for me. This kid's ministry is good for us. It's this, it's this, it's this, always this way. But that's not the way church was ever meant to be. Church was meant to be a place where we come and we give. We give our worship. We give our time. We give our offering. We give ourselves. We give our gifts. So when we come and give, what happens? We get. When we give, we get, and so it is with this next generation. When you give your life away, you'll find it. You'll find your purpose, and it'll be really good. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for a few moments of just kind of real talk, Lord, just, uh, just being here. Lord, I thank you for your presence that when we walk through these glass doors, these double glass doors, that you are already here. I already felt that same way that Pastor Jim felt. Lord, it's, it's here, and it's here to motivate. It's here to love. It's here to encourage and Lord, it's here to give us that grace, that grace to continue day after day, week after week, to move forward in our faith. Father, help us to be strengthened and encouraged today out of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, go with me to Hebrews. We're going to start at Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. If you have your phone, you can scroll through over through those screens. And uh, just be careful that battery. They did the update, and the battery is just sucking the life out of it. I actually went and just Googled a little thing to save your battery and did a little couple things in the back end to help it extend. So you're scrolling a bunch. Man, I just know that battery's going to die down a little quicker than normal. So here we go. Hebrews chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 1 down through verse 4. Right? Hebrews says this. Therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience or, or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was first declared to us by the Lord and then attested to those who heard. While God also bore witnesses by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and by the gifts of the Holy Spirit, distributed us according to 
to his will. I, I want to just start from the framework of consider what he said, consider what he's spoken, remember the things that you were taught so that what? We don't drift. I get so mad and frustrated and want to kick the cat and slap the dog, pour out the goldfish bowl. I get upset, especially when I see young people. They come so hot on fire at camps, retreats. They're, they're sophomore year of school, and they're so on fire for God. They want to go reach all their friends. But you give it a couple months, a couple weeks, a couple years, and what happens? They, they begin to drift away. They begin to let the fire that was once hot inside of them begin to slowly, slowly fade and fade. I, I, I want my, my flame, I want it to burn brighter today than it was over 25 years ago when I accepted Jesus Christ in my life. I want to go out hotter than what I came in. I, I want to be so connected to Christ now in my 40s than I ever was in my 20s. Man, I was in my 20s. Man, I was hot. I was blazing. I told my wife, you come marry me. We're going to blaze a big old trail for God. We're going to do big things. We're going to go. We're going to go. We're going to go. We're going to do all. We're going to, we're just, I mean, we're going to go blaze a trail for Christ. And, and yet I see those sometimes when we get up middle age, you, you kind of get complacent. You kind of, you kind of just like slow down a little bit. I know some of it's physical stuff, but you kind of almost sometimes, I've caught myself sometimes losing that passion and even sometimes wanting to drift away from even some of the first convictions. Some of the first beliefs and core values that we've had. Oh, it's not a big deal. Oh, it used to be so black and white when you're 18, 19, 20, 21, but now you get up and there's, now there's some great areas. And I love the warning that the Hebrew writer gives us. He said, be careful to pay attention to what you've heard so that you don't drift. Oh, he goes in, I don't have time to speak it, but the signs, wonders, and miracles, and the great salvation, the retribution, all this. I mean, there's so much there that we can pull into, but I just wanted to start with just that warning from him to us today. Be careful not to drift. From what we've heard? From the stuff Pastor Jim teaches us every single week, from the stuff that we hear on radio and television of our favorite preachers, from the stuff our mom and dad poured into us, for some of us, the stuff our grandmas and grandpas poured into us. All of those things, even though that grandma may not be there anymore, even though that mom or dad may have passed away three years ago, what happens? Their voice is still, come on. In our ears, you can still, you're driving down the road, you can still hear them talking. You're about to make a decision, and you hear yourself, what would my dad do? What would my mom say? And they're, they're still there. And that's what the Hebrew writer is trying to get us to understand. Be careful. Pay attention to what you've heard so that we don't, you don't drift. When I was a kid, my, my grandma, grandpa, they had a lake cabin out on Lake Possum Kingdom, out by ground. One of my favorite times in my life when I was a little kid, little bushy hair, you know, bad breath, you know, just kind of going along my little swimsuit. I go out to the lake and we'd go, we'd go tubing. My grandpa taught me how to go skiing on two skis. And then once I got big enough, we'd kick that one ski off and learn how to get up on a slalom and ski slalom. Man, I was like third grade, fourth grade, man, I'd be slalom all over Possum Kingdom Lake. About midday, he would call us in and be like, hey, we're going to go get into some lunch. We'd go take the boat. We'd pull up next to his little wooden docks. Just small little dog. It wasn't extravagant. God. You know these docks now. They get like satellite TVs, couches, all kinds of TVs. I mean, it's just like crazy. And there's just a little wooden slatted dock. And he would pull the boat up next to the dock. And he would grab a rope. It was a little yellow rope like this. And he would tie the rope 
from the boat to the dock so that while we went in and ate our little pimento cheese sandwiches or a little tuna fish sandwiches, little high sea drinks, right? When that time was over, we could go back down through the stairs to the dock and find our boat. This little rope would be pretty necessary in the process of the fun we had with the fun we were going to have in the afternoon. You're following me. We, we needed that rope. He knew how to tie it. He didn't know how to tie it back then. But he'd take it through the little slip knots and put it through that little metal part on the boat dock. And he tied it up. And at the end, we'd come back after lunch and we'd get back in the dock. I, I, I thought, man, what a beautiful image that the writer of Hebrews is telling us is that when we, when we find something, hear something, believe something, it's worth tying, come on, our boat, come on, we are the boat, we are the water vessel, it's worth tying up next to the dock so that we too don't what? Drift away. Now, I love the image of the dock, the boat, the rope, because simply, it doesn't mean that the boat was immediately all the way tied up next to it. Why? Because there was always a little slack because there'd be someone else out there skiing, someone else out there boating, there'd be wind, there'd be waves, and it would cause this buffeting, and the boat, if it was tied up immediately, maybe scratch, maybe harm, maybe put a dent, but there was always some little wiggle room, wasn't there? So it could kind of just bounce back and forth. And in between, we put a little buoy, we put a little, little air inflatable thing to where it wouldn't scratch or dent the boat. So in our faith, we are the boats. The dock is our salvation. It is Jesus Christ. It is God the Father. It is Holy Spirit, the Trinity, Father, Son, Spirit. This is, we're going to pin like this little speaker today. This is our salvation, and we are the boats. And the rope then, therefore, is the teachings. Oh, let me take it a little further. It, the rope then is the church or my community that keeps me tied up to what? My salvation. The rope is not my salvation. The church is not my salvation. I love what Pastor Jim said just a minute ago. It's not about how many times you come to church. No, no, no. My salvation is founded and rooted in Jesus Christ and it is right there. And so my community, my church, my family of believers, come on, that continue to echo these things that we've heard and said through the Bible and through the ages. Come on, this rope keeps me connected to my salvation that I can anchor upon, and that is Jesus Christ. So I've got to hold on so that I don't what? Drift away. You following me? But a lot of people today, they think that in our religious, pharisaical society, even though we live in today, a lot of people think that means perfection. That I'm going to tie up to this rope, and I'm going to be perfect and never make a mistake. I love the, I love the rope because it gives me a little room to even make some error. I, I get to talk to students a really lot, a lot, a, a lot. I ask students a lot of times, what's your biggest fear? I thought like spiders, <laughs> iPhone dying, no internet, no Wi-Fi. Oh, you know, my butt looks bad in these jeans, you know. I mean, like, they think of stuff like that, right? But the majority of students I've talked to, when I asked them, what's your biggest fear? They say failing. We're afraid to fail. And a lot of them, they've got so much pressure on them from family, from media, making the right grades, getting that D1 scholarship for football, baseball, basketball. Come on. There, there's all this pressure on them. And then some of them even take it a step further, and they say, we're, 
we're even more afraid to fail our parents. Out of my mind, I just started translating the two and wondering if we sometimes walk around with the same fear of failure, and we translate that to God. That we're walking around afraid, come on, of letting go. That we're afraid of messing up. We're afraid of saying the wrong thing. We're, uh, we're afraid of, come on, really hurting God's feelings when, watch this, all the while God knows that we're going to fail. He knows it. It's not catching him by surprise. He knows you're not going to be perfect. Are you serious? Yeah, we're going to mess up. Because I love telling students, like, you're going to fall flat on your face. And some of you, you're going to fail miserably. But you got to know that there is a God that you can hang on to the rope and that you can come back to a God that is full of love, grace, and mercy, and he will be there. In fact, in Luke chapter 22, we see a little conversation between Jesus and Peter about this very subject. Verse 31 says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, Peter, strengthen your brothers. He said to him, listen to what Peter said, Lord, I am ready to go both to prison and to death for you and with you. But Jesus said, no, 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 Peter, I, I tell you the actual truth is that the rooster will not crow this day until you have denied knowing me three times. You will deny me, not once, not twice, but three times. Listen, Jesus was telling Peter that, like, the actual truth is, yes, you're passionate, you're hot on fire, you're ready to go do big things for God, win your school, win your friends, win your family, win your neighborhood. You're hot on fire for God. The actual fact is you're going to, Peter, let, you're going to let go of the rope and you're, you're going to fail, you're going to drift. There's a couple quick points I just want to pull out of this little conversation in Luke chapter 22, and it's this, is that number one, God has complete control. He's a sovereign God. He's a big God. I, I teach my kids all the time. My daughter right here, if she wasn't nervous with all the lights and all the people and all the eyes, I'd ask her to come up here and say, Mally, can you tell me the three O's of God? And she would say, yes, Dad. The three O's of God are that he is omnipresent, he is omnipotent, and he is omniscient, which means he knows everything, he is everywhere, and he can do all powerfully anything. God is in control, and he's bigger than we are. And he looked at Peter, and he's like, hey, man, I got you. I got you. He looked at him and said just his name, not once, but twice. And I love the repetitiveness. He's like, Simon, Simon, Peter, Peter. And in fact, if we dug deeper there, Simon was his original name before Christ turned his name. He was Simon, which meant reed, which meant he, he was one that went back and forth. A reed literally in the wind will what? Go back and forth, back and forth. It is wavering. It's not solid or steady. But when Christ saw Peter and he became a disciple, he said, you will no longer be called Simon. You'll be called Peter. Petros, which means rock, the actual opposite of what he originally was. And yet in this moment of conversation, Jesus actually called him his old name, Simon. Simon was like, you, 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 still, you still got that. And what we began to see between Peter and Jesus was this, was that what? Peter was having a crisis moment in his life of really identifying who he was. We were in Luke 22 seeing the real Peter, the real Simon. So Jesus is saying, hey, in, in your moment of readiness, that's not even a word, I just made it up. In your moment of wavering, I got you. I am there with you. 
I know you by name. And that's what God's telling every one of us today. He knows. He knows where you came from. He knows where you're going. He knows your story and situation. You know, it's crazy that I've shared this here before. I don't expound upon a lot. My mom's been married seven times. My dad just got married a couple years ago for the fifth time. And who would have known through all that hardship, all that anger, all the stuff I had to process internally and probably still processing some of it now, all the junk of my childhood, who would have ever known that all of that would turn around by God's divine plan and be a cause and be a connection between me and young people for me now to help them through who would have known but God knew he said I got this and no matter what it is for you it may be a sickness it may be struggle with family maybe moms dads it may be problems at your work or job whatever it is God's saying I got complete control I see the future before you ever walk in it pretty powerful isn't it but the second thing we got to understand is this is that not just that God has complete control but Satan his desire and demand is to destroy us. So there's like almost, you see Tom and Jerry, I know it's an old school show. My kids, they've been introduced to these old school shows through all of these uh, kind of nostalgic networks on TV. And my son was watching the other day, Tom and Jerry, and I saw like the old Tom and Jerry where this guy, like the little devil on one shoulder, remember? And the little angel, the good voice on the other. They're kind of going back and forth, back and forth. And that's literally what was going on in Peter's life right here. As it was for Job, way back in the Old Testament where Satan showed up again, we see a similar conversation, good, bad, I want to destroy. And in the thought of God having complete control, you got to understand that Satan has to go through him. So Satan said what? I want to sift Peter like wheat. I'm not a farmer. I was living in South Irving most of my life. I was in the city. My parents dabbled around a little bit of cowboy stuff. My dad likes a good cowboy hat, some booty-tight wranglers, you know. He likes having a couple of horses and riding around. We did a little calf roping at times, team roping. We did a little of that. But most of my life, I've been a city boy. Never really been around farming or harvesting or weeding. So I just did a little YouTube searching. You know how it's so easy to research stuff today. A little YouTube search, a little internet search on the process of harvesting wheat. Because Satan said, I want to sift Peter like wheat. All right, I'm going to go look it up. So there's two portions. I don't have time to get into the whole process. But they take the, they, they take the wheat and they cut it and they put it in the sheaves. And they get it on the stuff. And there's two main processes, one called threshing and one called winnowing threshing and winnowing and those are two parts i really want to key in in this process before the wheat finally gets to that final stage where they can work it and make product out of it the threshing is where they put it in the sheaves they put it on the floor and they got these like hammers or brooms or sticks or whatever a lot of people use different methods but they come in and they start beating those sheaves they start beating those heads of wheat they start beating the whole thing and it's just it's just out in the open, kind of like on a dirt floor or a road, and they just start beating it out of thought. That's what Satan wants to do to you and me. Are you kidding me? He wants to take a broom handle. He wants to take a bat start beating me out. Why would he want to do that? Because in the threshing process of harvesting wheat, the threshing is the process that removes the wheat grain from the head. Sit on that for a minute. Satan is wanting to 
beat us away from the head. Who is the head? Christ Jesus. He, he is the chief cornerstone that we are to what? Be tied to. He is the foundation on which it all stands. He is the first and the last, the beginning and the end, the alpha, the omega. Come on. He is the way, the truth, and life, the good shepherd. He, he is everything. And Satan's trying to come with this little devil bat and beat us to where what? We are removed from the head. Wow. But it doesn't stop because the process of harvesting wheat moves to this thing called winnowing, where winnowing is literally a lot of times throwing up or they have like these big trays and they take it through there and they sift it through. They get it through to where then, then the wheat grain is removed from the rest of the body. So he not only wants to remove us from the head, he's trying to remove us from the body. There really is a battle for our souls. There really is a battle for us hanging on and not drifting away bigger than what we see. And I, I see it so many times. I saw it in my own family growing up. When my mom and dad were going through hard times, you know what they did? They stopped going to church. What? They were letting go and letting their boat sail out in the ocean and trying to do it all by themselves. You know, I see it so many times. Oh, I can't go to the church. What would they think of me? Oh, I can't go to the church. I just did this. Oh, I can't go to the church. Can't, I can't, I can't. And what do we do? We're letting go and letting Satan win. He's removed you from the head. You stop praying. You stop reading your Bible. You stop walking in an intimate relationship with him. And next, what does he do? He removes you from the body, the community, the church, your friends, and your family. And you're isolated all alone. And we can look at so many National Geographic videos on YouTube, like Jim was talking about, with the sheep with, come on, the bison, with whatever it is, and they get separated from the pack. They're all alone, and Satan wins. Wow. It's pretty strong, isn't it? But we got to hold on. And thank goodness it doesn't stop there because Jesus in that moment, as he said and declared that Satan was after Peter's soul, he said, but I have prayed for you. Pretty simple right there, isn't it? He said, I have prayed for you. It's powerful in the fact that what Jesus was about to do was die on a cross, and he was about to go away, and he was about to send his spirit. What's powerful in the fact was, was that through John 13, 14, 15, 16, Jesus is preparing these disciples for what? For his removal from the earth so that he could what? Send his spirit. And in that, he kept telling them over and over, I am the Father, and the Father is in me. What you see in the Father... I have done. What I have done is in the Father. And there's this like beautiful reflection that keeps going back and forth between Father and Son. He is what he's saying is the in he is the image of the invisible God. And what Jesus would do on that cross through the grave up through the ascension, would take his rightful place at the right hand of the Father. So when Jesus was declaring to Peter, it was a lot of foreshadowing. It was a lot of looking into the future. What Jesus was saying, I am praying for you, he was telling him, Peter, that I am going to go through this process, and yet my place will be an advocate that will be trust and respect right to the Father, where Jesus himself would be the advocate. He would be the lawyer fighting on our behalf for what? All of the sin, all of the mess up, all of the loose, the loose living. Come on, all that stuff. Jesus would say, I pray for you because I have a rightful place to do it between you and the Father. I am taking your place. Pretty powerful. Jesus said, I will pray. 
And all while he was saying he would pray, I'm almost done. All while he was saying that he would pray, all while he was saying he was praying, what was he saying? He was saying, Peter, even though I'm praying for you, I still see that you're going to fail. And yet in your failure, my prayers will catapult you into, we don't have time to get into it, the day of Pentecost, where Peter would be the one to get up and preach to the thousands and see hundreds and ultimately thousands to come receive salvation, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, and began literally to build up the community called the church. And it would be Peter that would be the one that used, that made all the mess-ups, the mistakes. Denied him three times. He let go of the rope. But then Jesus gives us the key. I got oh, to be done. He gives us the key to it all. He said, but Peter, once you've fallen, once I've prayed, once you, once you get back up, turn and strengthen your brothers. That word turn there simply means to repent, which means to go the other direction. Stop letting go of the rope and come on, Peter, just hang on. Hang on to the rope and hang on to me. But then hang, hang on and strengthen your brothers. That's what I'm talking about in the beginning about finding someone younger than you and mentoring them. Turn and strengthen your brothers. You know why we got to turn and strengthen our brothers? Because we're all going through the same mess. We've all at points in our lives wanted to let go. We've all at some point questioned everything. We all at some point wanted to just give up and just go away. To be all alone and isolated. But Peter said, don't, don't you turn and then strengthen your community. Strengthen your family. Strengthen your brother. And this is the power of this church. You're about family. And you're about each other. It's not about lights and show and all the big sexy stuff. It's about this. And this lasts longer than the lights, the smoke, the cool jeans, this lasts forever, and Jesus was telling Peter, come on, find a brother. I am thankful I have three to four brothers in my life, not like maternal, but like spiritually connected. I have three or four brothers in my life that hold me accountable, that say, Kyle, you're, 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 you're straying. Kyle, you're getting a loose hand on the rope. They help pull me back. I have some fathers in my life that are turned to and ask questions. Hey, what do you see me doing right? What do you see me doing wrong? Help me to be better. Because it's all about turning and strengthening. And yet in that turn and that strengthen shows us God's unbelievable grace. It's his grace. It's his grace that is the glue that holds us all together and gives us a tight grip on the rope to never let go. It is his grace that gives us the ability to say no to sin. Not to sin, watch this, not to sin, and then ask for forgiveness. Oh, we're going to sin, and we ask forgiveness. But come on, when I'm held onto the rope, come on, I, I can say no before the sin ever starts, before I even get there. Come on, I want to have a crazy, oh, I used to struggle a long time ago uh, with, with anger, like really bad anger, like punching the wall, like doing stupid stuff, man. I, stuff I, I wouldn't even tell you about because it's so regret. Fought through it for over 10 years of my life, bad anger. But right now, his grace gives me the ability to say no before I ever have an outburst. Ten years now. Ten years. I've been free of anger. Why? His grace. His grace. His grace gives us the ability. And yet we think grace is all about something that just showed up in the prison epistles and something Paul, something Paul gave us in his eloquent writings. But no, 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 no. 
grace actually showed up in the beginning with Adam and Eve. Just rewind for a minute where Adam and Eve sinned. Remember, they all of a sudden felt naked. They all of a sudden felt vulnerable. They all of a sudden felt ashamed. And what did God do? God showed up and gave them clothing made from animal skin and covered their failure. He covered their weakness. He covered their shame, didn't he? He said, I will show up. They're all hiding. They're like, oh, I got to hide, hide, hide. God, man, he's going to come and torch me. He's going to come and send me straight to hell. Come on, God's going to come and do all this stuff, right? No, no, no. God, in that moment of failure, when they dropped the rope, when they drifted, he showed up and said, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Let me take these animals, slaughter them, take the skin, tan the skin, and make clothing for you to cover your failure. And that's the God we serve, isn't it? It's powerful. And yet that story in Genesis chapter 3 would be just a powerful story of his grace, but I believe it would also be a foreshadowing thousands of years later when there would be another skin that would be taken from a tree that is named Jesus Christ. And that skin would also be tanned and made available to you and me so that that skin now, through his grace, could be clothed upon us for our forgiveness, for our iniquities, for our sins. Now his grace is called Jesus Christ. And we take him and apply him to our lives. That's Jesus. That's Jesus. Jim, if you want to come and we're going to go back into these worship songs. This morning, I don't know where you're at or what, what you're up against but I know his grace is big enough, strong enough. His grace will help you strengthen yourself and strengthen someone else so that what? So that you can hold on to the rope and not drift away. I'd like for you all to stand on your feet. Jim's going to begin to lead us in just a few songs. And as we move into this time of worship, would you just take God's word, not my words, but would you take his words and would you... Would you just on the inside just begin to make some decisions? We've talked about a lot of stuff over these last 30 minutes. Would you begin to let his spirit and his grace come in you? Maybe forgive you for sins. Maybe wash away some of the bad thinking that's been in your mind. And would you let him begin to build up the man of God, man of God woman of God that he's calling you to be? Because where you're at right now is not where you're going to be in a year, two years, five years, ten years. He's got a purpose and destiny for you. So as Jim begins to lead us in these songs, would you, would you take this moment to worship and make some things right with God?